This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Next up, we have Baseball Hall of Fame pitcher Phil Necro and his knuckleball. You're known for your knuckleball. How good were your other pitches? I, I don't think they were that good. I mean, I, I couldn't have survived. I wouldn't have even made it to the Miami Leagues without my knuckleball. I had a little slider and a little sinking fastball. I never too hard. You know, a good wind behind me, I get up to 82, 83. But I kind of spotted my other pitches. But I I got guys out with them, but it was more of an element of surprise, maybe more than anything. Everybody up there is going looking for a knuckleball. I knew they were looking for it, and I really didn't care. If I had the good knuckleball, I felt pretty comfortable. But at the same time, it made me have a couple of pitches uh, pretty effective because they were they weren't looking for me. They were sitting on knuckleballs all the time. I see that your dad your dad taught you the knuckleball. Was your dad a minor league pitcher? No, no, he was a semi pro uh, for a coal mining team back in a little town in Ohio called Lansing, and uh, I, I grew up watching him play for the minor league coal mining team and. One day in the backyard, I don't know how old I was, he threw me a knuckleball, and he laughed. I missed it, and I said, what was it? And showed me and told me how to hold it, and we started playing knuckleball in the backyard, didn't know what it was, and it was just something that when we choose up sides in my little town to get the boys and girls together to play baseball, that's what I can get them out with. And, you know, I, by the time I was a freshman in high school, I was a knuckleball pitcher. Pitched four years of high school in knuckleball and went to a tryout camp and uh, Milwaukee Brave Scout signed me. Hey, growing up in Ohio, you were friends with John Havlicek. Was he a baseball player? Yeah. Oh, John was—he could do anything he wanted to. He was a, a, I think he got drafted by the White Sox. I wanted him. Uh, a couple other teams. Uh, one of the best ball players, basketball player, state of Ohio. Good, exceptionally good football player. Uh, good baseball player. He could run track. He could wrestle. Anything he wanted to do. Uh, John was just that very unique, all-around, great athlete, super good condition guy. Uh, as long as I've known him, he's, I'm sure he still is. I just talked to him a couple of days ago. Was he able to hit your knuckleball? Uh, you know, so far, <laughs> so long ago in the backyard, <laughs> and then a little, wherever we could play, I, I, I can't remember. I'm sure he could. At what point did you, did you feel that you had, had mastered the knuckleball, or do you ever feel that you've mastered the knuckleball? You know, I, I don't think I ever did. I was still trying to figure out uh, in, in 1987 when I retired. Uh, and I, I don't know why it does what it does. I don't think anybody knows why it does what it does. It's a it's a freak of nature kind of a pitch. There's a lot of physics behind it. I know a lot of people have taken tests and, uh, you know, documents and trying to figure it out. And I don't think anybody has come up with the, with the right solution at all, of all that I've read about it. They can explain curveballs and sliders and change-ups and fastballs, but not too many people can explain why a knuckleball does what it does. So I made a living on uh, what the hell I was doing at the time. <laughs> when you got signed by the Braves in 59, were other teams scouting you? Because it seems like most of the time scouts want guys who throw hard or have a good fastball, a good curveball. They don't really scout it like off-speed pitchers. No, no I, I tried out for the Pittsburgh Pirates, which is about 70 miles from my home down island. Uh, I guess I, I didn't impress anybody there. And I went to a tryout camp in Milwaukee Braves. I had an article in the paper in Wheeling, West Virginia, across the river from where I kind of lived. And 
I told my dad I was going. I hitchhiked a ride down. I took my shoes and my spikes, and I, I threw a knuckleball on the side, and I hit and I ran and did everything. And when I was leaving the ballpark, the scout says, you know, what's your name? Where do you live? What's your telephone number? And by the time I got home, my dad just got back from the coal mine. He said, Milwaukee scout wants to come out and, and talk to us, which, you know, got me pretty excited. So he came out that night, and after a couple hours of my cooking a nice little Polish dinner, we, he said, Milwaukee Braves are interested in signing your son to a minor league contract. How does $275 a month sound to you, and we'll give you a $500 bonus? And, boy, I said, yeah, let's, let's, let's jump all over that one, Dad. So that was the start. The next spring I got the train and weeding West Virginia and went to Lake Cross, Georgia, and that's where it all started. When you joined the Braves, still on the pitching staff was Warren Spahn, who was into his 40s by that time, to say, gee, what's this old man right. still doing pitching? No, I, I, I never looked at that way. I, I never looked at ages. I, I just looked, always looked at talent and the makeup of a guy, the way he approached the game, how he handled himself on the field. Uh, those were things I, I looked at. Of course, everybody knew Warren Spawn. Luber Dell was there at that time. You know, I think Dale Crandall was in the big leagues. I, I got to work out with him a couple of times in my career early at spring training and always get, kept getting sent down, sent down, sent down. And it wasn't until my second year when I was in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, my manager, Red Murph, uh, who also signed Nolan Ryan. And boy, there's a, there's a night and day situation there. Me and then halfway through the season, he said, "Nico, he said, if you can get your knuckleball over the plate, you could pitch in the big leagues." And no one's ever told me that before, and, and that really motivated me. And then I, I just took bull by the horn, and someone believes in me, and, and I, which made me believe in myself, and just how far do I want to go? What sacrifice do I want to make? What commitments do I want to make? And then from there on, was just my whole career after that was nothing but knuckleballs. You had some great pitchers and hitters on those Braves teams, one of them being Hank Aaron. What was Hank Aaron like? Hey, he was a very very quiet guy. He, he he didn't say a whole lot in the dugouts, wouldn't have meetings. He wouldn't say a whole lot. Uh, I think he, he showed uh, by example uh, how he walked in that clubhouse and put his uniform on and went out every day and took batting practice. And every day he took infield practice. He, he, he could do it all. Uh, he, he could run, he could hit, he could throw, he could steal bases. I mean, there wasn't nothing he co- couldn't do. And I think uh, his stats throughout his career, I think, uh, justified all that. And No, but he was very quiet. He just led by example. In 69, the Braves won the National League West. You, you guys had a, a great team. And did you say to yourself, we're going to the World Series? Well, I, you like to think that that's the year I won 23 ball games, and we did have a good ball club. We made a, a couple of trades there, and I, I don't think you ever look that far ahead. You, you look about winning your pennant uh, the first time, uh, at least I was, and then we finally won the pennant and got in the playoff with the uh, the Mets, and the amazing Mets, and they beat us three in a row that year and didn't get into another playoff until, I think, 82 81 with St. Louis, and we lost three there. So we got close a couple of times, but was never able to pop the cord or light the, or, or, or light the cigar. 
Besides Hank Aaron, you mentioned uh, you had Warren Spahn. Another guy was Eddie Matthews. I mean, he was just a phenom who was probably the greatest third baseman of all time. Was he quiet like Hank, or was he different? Hey, uh, Eddie was a little bit more boisterous. He, he was a tougher guy. He was a, more of a macho-type guy, and he let his feelings be heard, and, you know, he didn't he let didn't anything stand in his way. Uh, and Henry was just the opposite of that. I, 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 I knew him, but I knew Eddie, but not a whole lot. He managed me a little bit a couple of years. The year I won my pitch, my no hitter, he was my manager. Uh, spring training, I... I, I really wasn't concerned about those guys. I was concerned about going out pitching good every time I could and keep making that advance from rookie ball to D to CBA, double-A, triple-A, and finally get to the big league. So I, I looked at the long end of it more probably than anything and what I had to do to get there. So those guys really didn't have any influence on how I was going to pitch because I certainly couldn't pitch like those guys. I was just, I was just the opposite of those guys. So, I just had to take the bull by the horn and, and go with it. When the Braves moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta, how warmly did Atlanta em- embrace the ball club and the players? I, 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 th- I think they did. Uh, big league baseball in the South. I think we were the first ones in the South to really bring big league baseball down there when we moved from Milwaukee in '66 to Atlanta. Uh, 69, we won a pennant in, in, you know, third year. So that was a pretty big deal. But, you know, in the South, the Southeast is football. It's all college, collegiate football and basketball. They're more, more football than anything. So I think it took, uh, the people in the South a while to hook on to professional baseball. I knew they have high school ball down here in collegiate baseball, but big league baseball was kind of all new to them and, it took them a little while to uh, to get on to it. And then in 69, when we won a pennant, I think everybody jumped on board there. And then, well, I think that was the last good year we had because of the 70s. We were, we were terrible. In 69, when you finished second in the Cy Young Award to Tom Seaver, do you think that you got basically discriminated against because they felt that you were using a tr- pitch and Tom was more of the more traditional pitcher? Oh, I, I, I don't Yeah, sports writer. I, I do remember I lost two balls on two games in rain out. So I was leading one time against Philadelphia, and I think two in a three-one going to fifth inning uh, rained out, and we just, we just have to start those games over at that time. So there was two games in there. I, I, I might have won with a twenty-five, but you know, exceptional good year. Barton down here in the house, we didn't get a whole press. We didn't. TV or radio, just kind of cool, but up there was the big market. I think more people up there and, and more sports writers and more fans throughout baseball knew Tom Seaver more were down in, in Atlanta, Georgia. What was the reaction from your catchers when this knuckleballer comes to town? Did they, they say, did you have a favorite catcher? Oh, uh, probably Bruce Benedict. Uh, Okay. Uh, was was my favorite. Bob Euchre was very instrumental in in me getting uh, on the right track. I had Joe Torrey and Gene Oliver, some of those guys. But uh, yeah, I was in Mil- in Atlanta one time. And Joe Manager called me and said, "We're going to send you to Richmond Triple I said, "Why?" He said, "You know, we don't have anybody to, to catch your knuckleball." And, and I got sent down on account of that. And then when Paul Richards came over from Baltimore, 
who knew about knuckleball pitchers, he traded Gene Oliver from the Braves to Philadelphia for Bob Euchre, catcher for catcher, uh, just come down and have Bob Euchre catch my knuckleball and call it in situations where other catchers wouldn't call it. And so I could stay in games and, and Euchre told me, he said, hey, I'm going to have pass balls and you can have wild pitches and, you know, we're going to lose games, but we're going to win more if, if, if you throw that knuckleball and I called it. And I followed that in that. Year I led the league in ERA, well, 1.87, and Bob Euchre led the league in pass balls. <laughs> was Euchre as funny during his playing career as he became after it? Oh, yeah, but I, I don't think people knew that until, you know, he got on the Johnny Carson show and had a little TV program and a lot of speaking engagements. I think that's, that's where his funniness really came out. Uh, other than baseball, he, you know, he was pretty serious. It, it cut up and he, it keep us laughing and cracked up at times. But come game time, he, he was all he was all business. And I think when his career is over, people realize uh, what a great comedian he was. What hitter gave you the hardest time? Billy Buckner. Why was that? Because uh, I knew every time he came to the plate that his objective was to get the first base. And that's always the toughest guy to pitch to. Um, you know, I don't. I might have struck him out once, maybe twice in my career, but he always put the ball between two white lines. I don't know what kind of average hit off of me. I, I'd rather face Mays or or, or, or Sarge or those guys with the base loaded than I would with Bill Buckner. I couldn't strike Bill Buckner out. I could strike the other guys out. Of course, when they hit it, they can hit the next county, but. Buckner was just a tough, tough out for me. The little guys that wanted to get to first base, uh, knew the strike zone very well, uh, were the toughest guys for me. And I think if more hitters took that approach today, pitchers would have a lot more difficult time of, of pitching because it's, you know, it's a little, just a little tougher to pitch a man on base one or two guys than there's nobody on. Well, they, they say that the key to hitting a knuckleball pitcher is to go to the plate like you have a rolled-up newspaper as your bat. Is, oh, is that the approach? I, I don't know. I, I hit one home run off of Charlie Huff in Atlanta off a of knuckleball. Uh, my brother, late brother Joe hit one uh, one home run in his career, hit off of me on a knuckleball. So I, I guess maybe knuckleball pitchers have a little more tendency to, to realize what the ball is coming in there is, is going to do. We weren't great hitters, but, uh, you know, we, we felt pretty comfortable off of the plate because, you know, we knew basically sometimes what knuckleballs would do. John, Johnny Bench had the best explanation for me after a career was over, and we talked about the knuckleball, and I got him out here, the home runs off of him, but he, Johnny told me, he says, you know, I never looked at you as a knuckleball pitcher. And that's what he talked about. I, I was throwing knuckleballs. He knew they were coming. He said, I took the knuckleball theory, the knuckleball thought out of my head, and I looked at you as a breaking ball pitcher because every pitch you threw was going to be a break. It was going to break someplace. So I looked at you as a breaking ball pitcher, and no one's ever told me that before. No, it makes sense here. I mean, cause they yeah. weren't getting, he wasn't getting phased. He just figured, okay, let me just guess where this ball is going to break when I swing. Yeah, he, he just took the knuckleball. I mean, a lot of guys before a game starts know is in the face, thinking about, gee, get left-handed or right-handed, get a big back, choke up, get in front of the back of the box. Am I going to look foolish? Am I going to 
You got more balls, and I'm going to swing at strikes. And a lot of guys, even before they walk up to the plate, you know, strike against them because they're, they're, they're thinking even before they get up to the plate. A lot of guys like to get up to the plate just say, give me your best stuff. It's me and you. Let my natural reaction take over. And man to man, macho to macho, let's go at it. And here comes a come-off pitch out there, kind of forward and throwing something you haven't seen probably, maybe once or twice. Are you surprised there aren't more knuckleball pitchers? Well, I, I think now that since Dickie won the Cy Young Award, that not just in this country, but I think all over all over the baseball world, that people know that a knuckleball is, a, is an avenue to get to the big leagues. You know, I, I know they're out there looking for guys that throw 90, 92, 93. Everybody can't do that. So this is a ticket that you want to commit and, and, and maybe sacrifice and not knowing don't care what anybody else thinks about you, work on a knuckleball, and, and, and that may get to the minor leagues and eventually the big leagues. I have a, I get a lot of letters about write me back and teach me how to throw a knuckleball. I've had I have a guy from Korea flew over. A guy from China wants to come over and work on a knuckleball. So it, it's out there now. It, it just takes that, that mental attitude to want to go after it. I read somewhere when you won your 300th game, you didn't throw one knuckleball. I threw one. Uh, the last uh, last pitch of the game, to Jeff Burrows. Uh, we were leading nine nothing against Toronto. I was going for my 300th. And uh, Jeff Torborg, who was at the Yankees bullpen coach, always told me up He says, "You know, you got good enough stuff to that you win the big leagues without your knuckleball." And I thought he lost his mind when he told me that. But <laughs> uh, I tried four times before that. I. I don't know if I didn't have a good knuckleball or just bad days. And first couple of innings, I, I got him out with everything but a knuckleball. I was making pitches up. They had won the pennant the night before. They were all probably full of champagne. I don't know if they knew who was pitching against them. And, you know, fourth, fifth, we kept scoring the runs. And I kept thinking, Torborg said I could do this. So let me, let me see how far I can go with it. And all of a sudden, we're getting the sixth, seventh inning. We're leading seven nothing. And. I'm going to go with it. And then last batter of the game, Jeff Burroughs come up. I had two strikes on Butch Weininger called time on. He says, you want to throw a knuckleball, don't you? I said, I can't think of a better way to win the 300. <laughs> well, I think Torborg caught a couple of Nolan Ryan's no-hitters, too. So he, he must have known what he was doing. I don't know, but I always remember Jeff telling me that. And every time we talk about that, I mention that thing. When you and your brother won 20 games in the same season, I don't think that was ever done before or since. What was that like? God, I think I, I think I might have, might have lost one line on the last day or something. I was 21 and 20 that year. I remember it started 42 games, had 41 decisions. Yeah, that was uh, – at that time, we didn't know that it was ever done before. And now that we realize our careers are over, uh, 539 games – between two brothers of the big league still stands as the all-time record, which isn't a record, but I guess for a family record, me and Joe and my sister and my late mother and father and all my relatives and cousins back in uh, Ohio and my nephews and nieces, uh, you know, we, we kind of hang on to that. We, we kind of think it's kind of okay. It pretty neat. Now, you have the most victories after age 40, 121 of them. The secret to your longevity is what? I mean, there's there's more to pitching than just your arm, I would assume. 
Well, I, people say, why well, you could pitch that long because you didn't throw very hard. But when the game was over, mentally and physically, I was just as tired as anybody else. And then we used to pitch eight, nine innings. We'd throw 320, 320, 30, 40 ball games. Uh, but I, I just, I was very, very fortunate. I never got arm problems, never had operations. Uh, I was on a DL one time because I got hit with a line drive up on my right shoulder, getting ready for an opening day against San Diego. I, I I never believed in age factor. Uh, you know, somebody's going to be the youngest, someone's going to be the oldest. I was getting paid. It was my job to go out there every four day or five and, and do the best I can. And while I was still uh, while I was still pitching okay, that motivation was still to get to the World Series, which I never did. So I I never looked at my age. I think everyone else did. But to me, age factor doesn't play. Either you can get him out or you can't get him out. Can you believe it's 40 years since Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's record? Uh, yeah, I was down at the opening night the other night. Uh, he was there, yeah. it's No, it doesn't seem that long, but well, the older you get, as we all know, where does the years go, you know? Yeah. What, was it, what, did, what was it like for the teammates with Hank? I mean, I know he had a lot of pressure on him, a lot of threats about breaking Babe Ruth's record. What did the teammates do to help him? I think we, we, we talked to him about it. Uh, when are you going to get it? hope you get it tonight and all that stuff. Yeah, enough going on. I, I don't think anybody could have handled it with more class than Henry. You know, he had the reporters. He always was in a different room. We stayed in, on the road trips. He stayed in different hotels. He, he just wouldn't let he just wouldn't let all that was going on affect the team and you know, all the stuff he was going through, I think very few of us knew all the letters he got and the hate and hell and, the, and the, you know, stuff like that. He just he just did that and until after his career was over is when it, when it all came out. And I said, you got to be kidding me, he went through all that. But, you know, he, he did it first class. After 20 seasons with the Braves, they released you after the 83 season. Did you say yeah. to your, did you ever say to yourself, okay, that's been enough, or did you say, hey, I can still do this? Well, when they released me, uh, they called me and said, hey, we know you could still win, we know you can still pitch, which was a you know a little vote of confidence there. And then as soon as they released me, which was a one of you know low lights of my life as my career, and then a few days later, the Yankees called Steinbrenner, and uh, you know, I mean, that's not a bad place to go. Uh, and then I went there for two years and got released, and then wasn't long after a Cleveland called. So evidently, someone thought I could still help them and 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 still get batters out. And so in one way, it was a downer, but in the other way, it was an upper for you. What was your favorite moment of your career? Oh, I God, every I think every day I went out there and put the uniform on. Uh, I had a chance to pitch and represent a, a city, an organization. Pro- probably the night that I wind up beating Detroit when I was at Cleveland, and that made me and Joe uh, 530, I don't know, I think 539 games, which passed uh, Gaylord and Jim Perry, because that was family. That was my dad. That was my mother, my sister. Uh, that was my high school, my coaches, everything everything back in Ohio. Uh, that's what I thought of, Joe and I. We talked about that a lot. It wasn't so much that, hey, we beat the Perry brothers. You know, this is something that I think Lansing and state of Ohio and our fans could be a little proud of. 
when you finally hang up your spikes, you say to yourself, okay, the Hall of Fame is going to be calling in a few years? Oh, I don't know. You, you, people say, you know, you win your 300, and then they talk, start talking about future Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, and they, they kind of put that logo on you. But, but you, you know, you never know. It, it took me five years to get there. And when you get the phone call, it seems like it's always the right time. You always want to go in on a first ballot or second or third, but if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And I, I think I felt more bad for my wife, Nancy, and my kids who was hanging around waiting for that phone call, phone call to come and the, maybe the Braves organization, those people back in Ohio. Um, that's who I kind of felt bad for. But I, I thought maybe eventually I would get there. We just got to. It's got to hold on, that's all. It'll come, maybe, hopefully. How did it feel when you found out you got in? Oh, it's like a voice in heaven. My my goodness, yeah, you wait. Well, one year there was nobody got in, and that was a kind of hard one to figure out. But when you get the phone call, yeah, it's uh, you, can, you can breathe a little bit. It's finally over. don't have to get no more phone calls now. So, yeah, the, you get phone calls in your life, and that was, that was as good as a phone call as I've ever gotten. Now, you also had a brief managerial career with the Colorado Silver Bullets, and yeah. their uniqueness was it was an all-women's team. What yeah. was that experience like? Well, it, 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 it truly was. I, well, I managed in Richmond one year for the uh, Atlanta Braves triple up in Richmond. Uh, you know, it, it, I think if men played the game the way these young ladies play, they wouldn't be any problems. Uh, the first year, we, I think, won four games or six out of 40 or 50. And after the fourth the fourth year, our final year season, uh, we only had, uh, I think, five young ladies that stayed with us for the five years. Uh, we traveled all over the country, uh, played against men and some good men's teams. Uh, and played against some over 40 teams. It seemed like we always had the all-star teams in certain towns that we'd go into. Played in you know, a lot of minor league ballparks, filled them up, played in big league ballparks, I think like nine or nine, 10, 11, the big stadiums throughout the country. You know, we played in Denver. We had, I don't know, 30, 40,000 over there to watch us play. So it, it, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. Well, that's my story. Traveled with, with, with 20, 23 80s for four years. You've got some stories. Did you ever tell them there's no crying in baseball? No, I don't think we ever had anybody that did. <laughs> no. And I still get calls from someone. Yeah, when are we going to get it back? When are we going to get it back? Let's play. But, uh, you know, that's that was four years of, of my life, my baseball career, that you know I really, really enjoyed. How special was it ending your career with the Braves? I, I felt like I had to do that. Uh, when Toronto traded for me or, or got me uh, my last two months of my career, I was in Cleveland and Toronto traded for me or got me. They were in a pennant race. I pitched a month up there, uh, got released, a month left to go in the season. I pretty much knew my career was coming to an end then, and I, I, I just didn't want to walk away from the game with a Toronto hat on. I wanted to walk away with the team that, I was born with uh, the Braves, with that, that Brave logo in Atlanta and Milwaukee. So I worked a deal out with Atlanta Braves. Uh, uh, they had to get permission from the commissioner that my game was not going to interfere with any kind of a pennant race or anything like that. And 
I got to do that on uh, September 27th against the Giants in Atlanta. And knowing that was probably my last game, and when it was over, I just announced my retirement. But I, you know, I, I just, I just had to walk away from that game with Atlanta Braves on. Did, did, did you have a favorite ballpark? Did you have a favorite ballpark to pitch? Did you have a favorite ballpark to pitch in? Yeah, every one of them. <laughs> every one of them. I, I I did protect the old. I I didn't really like the old stadium in Montreal, the big white elephant they called it, damp and dreary and kind of cool. I, I I that wasn't my favorite ballpark. And the old Shea Stadium, I wasn't real fond of that one. I, mean, I don't know why, but I, I I don't know. But those other than that, but I enjoyed pitching them. I as long as I got the ball every four or five days and was able to go out there and in in, in Earn my pay and, and and let the fans enjoy whatever I was doing. I was I was a happy guy. I was Did very you know- fortunate, able. I was very fortunate and blessed to be able to play that game for some twenty eight years professionally. Did you know where the ball was going? You threw it, or you just threw it and just guessed? I don't think any knuckleball player pitcher could knew exactly where that knuckleball was going. I mean, uh, they certainly didn't hit the outside corner, and the catcher didn't say hit the outside corner low and away and next one up and in because, uh, you know, the knuckleball never does the same thing twice. So uh, I just figured that if the batter don't know what's going to happen, just throw that thing down the middle of the plate and let the ball take its course and let it do what's going to do and let the batters figure it out. Is it true that, like Pete Rose said, that once a player faced you, it would screw up his swing for a couple games? Uh, I don't know. I've heard him say that of, you know, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I wasn't. I didn't play every. I didn't play every day, and I didn't go to the bat four, three, four, five times a game every day in my career. So I, I don't know, but I, I, I did remember him saying that. Yeah. If somebody came to you and said, "Hey, we'd like to have you uh, in our bullpen, throw an inning here or there," still up for it? Oh, of course, always will be. <laughs> <laughs> so right now, I said, you know, I watch TV and go to the game. I could have got that guy out. I could have got that guy. I, I think every player who probably ever played will probably have that uh, that feeling. It just it's in there and it stays in there and it doesn't go away. That competitiveness. You want to see that sign? You want to see that look at batter's eyes? You, you want to see that umpire crossing back behind the catcher? You just want to do it. You've done it all your life. You just can't get rid of it. If Ted Turner's still on the Braves, you think you think he'd give you the shot to go and be the oldest uh, pitcher in baseball history? I don't know. I don't know. I would I would like to do that. I just like for my own satisfaction, my own peace of mind, uh, go out there and, and, and pitching it too. Should I get him out? Sure. Like do it anywhere. What I never understood was what I never understood was your son. How come he wasn't a pitcher? Well, I, I, I've I've got three. I think everybody thought they were supposed to be pitchers, but. You know, one had a real good sinking fastball curveball, played a little college ball, hurt his arm. Uh, the oldest boy, he just never got into it, into the sports. Michael, my youngest son, played some high school ball. But I, I don't know. I, I, You know, they just, I think a lot of people thought they should play, and there's a lot of probably sons of athletes that don't fall in their, in their dad's footsteps, and mine didn't. And I ha- had nothing against them. I didn't force them. I didn't. Asked him to. We worked out when we could. We played catch in the backyard, and it just wasn't. Uh, it wasn't in the cards for him, I guess. 
Now you're a five-time gold glove winner. Is that because you're able to get in position by the time the ball was crossing the plate? Or your athleticism no. or what? No, I, I, I worked a lot on spring training of that. Uh, once I became a starting pitcher, uh, I realized uh, if I got there every four or five days, I'm going to have 35, 40 starts. How many ground balls are going to come back to me? A lot. A lot. How many double plays can I turn? How many bunts can I feel? How many good throws can I make? You know, how many times am I going to come up to the plate and have to get a guy over the plate sacrifice? So, uh, you know, it puts the ball between two white lines. So work on my pickoff move. So every year I went to spring training, there's only so many times you can throw a baseball, and there's a lot of time down. You just stand around shagging fly balls. Or when the game practice over, nothing to do, I'd I, I just go down in the batting cage and wait to Hank Aaron and Horner and Murphy and, you know, uh, Felix Mellon. I got a batting cage, and I'd jump in there and, and work on that. And I had I had coaches hit me ground balls back to me on the mound until they probably got blisters, and they said I had enough. So, But in, in my career is over, I, I don't know how many, but I'm sure I've probably won quite a few games because I could feel my position or pick a guy off or two or let a sacrifice run down. Just think how many gold gloves you would have had if Jim Cott wasn't playing. Well, he was he was an exception. You know, <laughs> I, I was I was good for five out of those careers. He would, you know, almost every day of his career. Now, people overlook your hitting prowess during during the course of your career. You did hit seven home runs. Was yeah. there a favorite? Did you have a favorite home run? Uh probably the one in San Diego. In 82, when I hit a home run off Eric Shaw, uh, and I wound up pitching a shutout, probably that, I think that was the top, top of the eighth inning, maybe. Uh, I, yeah, I do remember that home run because we had to go in there and win uh, against San Diego the last few games of the season. And uh, I just pitched a shutout in San Francisco, come back, and I pitched a shutout against San Diego on that Friday night and wound up hitting that home run. So, yeah. That home run, a lot of people still tell me about that. It, you know, it's a 12 o'clock probably back here in Atlanta. And people saw it on TV and heard it on radio, and they always mention that home run to me is, is that one. I, a couple other ones, yeah, here and there, but that one stands out for me. You mentioned Eddie Matthews was your manager, but wasn't your pitching coach for a while with the Braves, Bob Gibson? Yeah, when Joe Torrey for a couple of years came over, he, he brought Bob Gibson, yeah. What was Bob like as a coach? But yeah, Bob was our pitching coach. He was fastball slider, knock you, knock you down. I was just the opposite of the way he pitched. So we got along good, but uh, I don't think he could help me a lot other than the mental end of it. You know, keep me in condition. But as far as us talking to each other about pitching, uh, we're like night and day there. Did you have a favorite manager to play for? Every one of them. Everyone. I got along with my managers, got along with my players. Uh, Bobby Cox was outstanding. Billy Martin was outstanding in New York. Uh, I, I enjoyed uh, hey, Bristol and Atlanta, Billy Hitchcock. Well, I, I, all of them. I, you know, they had confidence in me, and I didn't agree with them all the time when they take the other games, but they get paid to do that. That was their job. Maybe I would have done the same thing, but. I've always told a manager, don't ever come out and ask me if I'm tired because I'll, I'll lie. I'll lie to you. You just take me out of the game when you think when you when you think I can't get him out anymore. That's his job. 
That does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'd like to thank our guests, Hall of Fame pitchers Raleigh Fingers and Phil Necro, and our Hall of Fame executive producer, Dave Olson. Tune in again next time to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. 